You can open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be finishing up uh, the book today. In the next few weeks, we'll be in 2 John, 3 John, and we're going to be in Jude, I think, for the next four or five weeks. Uh, but for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike. I'm our college and outreach pastor here at Maranatha, and it is good to be with you. Um, if you can either go back uh, with me in your mind or think forward uh, for some of you uh, to when in the point to where Hope and I, my wife, had a conversation and there was a really big conversation that we needed to have. And I was 21 at the time and she was 18 and I can remember us being in that limbo mode or you can call it in between to where we didn't really know where we stood. Um, I thought she was really hot and I wanted to be with her and I wanted to be around her a lot. And I think she thought the same about me, but I wasn't real sure. There was some insecurity there. And, uh, but anyway, we, I texted her and I said, hey, we need to talk. And we met, you know, for some of you, if you can remember, there's that one spot you would get together. And on some college campuses, it's kind of like where you seal the deal or whatever, or hide and make out, whatever it is. And so we, I, I told her, I want to meet you there and we need to have this conversation because I wanted to make sure that nobody else was either going to slide in or, you know, steal her or whatever, you know, put some voodoo on her. So I had the what? The DTR. Yes. We had to define that sucker. And I had to make sure that she was interested in me because I didn't want it to be in the unknown. And so there's always this time in the relationship where you need to define it. Where do you stand and where do I stand? It is going to be really hard for me to preach with if you have masks on. I need you to give me a nod so I know you're with me. Give me a nod. Say, I'm with you. Okay, yeah, yeah, this is going to be great. So we had this conversation, and so it led to me knowing for certain how she felt about me and how I felt about her. And so there's always that point, and even in your relationship with God, there always should be this point to where you can look back and say, this is where me and God stand, or this is where me and this relationship stand, or whatever the case is. Because there are things in your life that should be certain. Things for a staple, you should be 100% certain, and some things you shouldn't be certain about. Something should be up in the air for you, and a, and a prime example would be this. I spend a lot of time with college students, and they want their future to be 100% certain, guaranteed, crystal ball, here's who you're going to marry, here's how good she's going to look, here's what it's going to be, and those things are uncertain for a reason, or what kind of career you're going to have, because God wants your trust or your faith. There are some things that should be uncertain. Um, a prime example is you should feel safe in your home. You should feel safe in your home. Uh, it was a couple months ago when everything was kind of happening in the world. The pandemic was taking place. And uh, my wife and I, we get in about one, you know, teeny tiny argument a year. Just about one. And it was one of those times. And uh, it was in the morning. I was getting ready to leave. And I said, hey, hey, Hope, where's, where's the keys? Um, and it's not that she always loses the keys, but it's 99.9999% of the time she'll lose the keys. And so I said, hey, where's the keys? Because I've never lost them, ever. And she said, you walked in with them last night. And I said, no, I did not walk in with them last night. You had the keys. I had the baby, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it just started getting to that point, And I got to leave. And we're still looking for the keys the whole bit. And it was that moment to where this light bulb went off in my head. And, during, and, and it's not like we live in this unsafe <clears throat> area. But uh, it registered in my head, um, they might be in the front door. And so if those of you have done it or for those of you, pregnancy, brain, whatever it is, but it was me, I walked out, I looked at the front door, our keys were in the front door, the car keys, the house keys, all night. 
And I felt in that moment a little insecure or unsafe. And I was like, man, bonehead mistake. It was on me. I lost the keys and I was unsure the next night. Now I check my door like 50 times. Is it locked? Is it locked? But you should feel safe. There are things that you should be certain of. I was 18 years old. And I was going through this process of being unsure where my relationship with God was. And I always thought in my head, you know what I'll do if I'm unsure? I'll pray this prayer. Dear God, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my life? I prayed that every night for probably six months. Just to be sure. Just to be 100% certain if I die tonight in my sleep or if my life is taken away, I have a relationship with God. There are things that you should be certain of. And today what we are going to look at in 1 John as we finish this study up, you should be 100% certain about a few things in life. One of them is if you are going to heaven or not. John is going to talk about that. One of them is if and when you pray, does God actually hear you or do your prayers just hit the ceiling? We are going to talk about today is if you see someone who is struggling, about to fall off the map and your heart breaks for them, should you say something? John's going to talk about that in this passage and also with all of this mess in the world and everything going on to where you feel uncertain, you feel unsafe, what does Christ actually provide, or is it just a cliche? Today, we are going to talk about that, that very fact, and that's why I titled this, How You Can Know. So the way that we're going to go through this is in 1 John 5, we're going to start in verse 13, I'm going to talk about four things that you can know, that you can be certain of, and the first thing is this, you can know if you will be in heaven, You can know if you will be in heaven. It's in 1 John 5. If you have your Bibles, great. If not, I'm going to put it on the screen for us. But it says this in 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know, have eternal life, that you will be in heaven. And why is John saying this? It is the purpose of his letter because... He does not want his listeners and the people he's writing to, and he does not want you and I to be uncertain in any aspect as far as if you will be in heaven or not. He does not want you to hope so. He doesn't want you to think so. He doesn't want you to cross your fingers so. He doesn't want you to maybe sometimes, if you're on a mission trip, you feel it. If you don't feel it, he doesn't want you to feel that way, and neither does God. He wants you to know so. And how do you know for sure if you will be in heaven? He says, I've written these things to you who believe. And I can't tell you how many people I've met, and even myself when I was younger, to where I would doubt for certain if I would be saved or not, or if I would go to heaven or not. Who gets to decide, and what do I have to do? What do I have to do? There are many people, if you are someone who's doubted your salvation or doubted if God will accept you at the end of the run, you are not alone. There is a majority of followers of Christ who struggle with this or people who don't follow Christ and you want to know what the answer is. If you want to be in heaven, if you want to know for certain, you have to know the gospel. The gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 is this, if you pull it up for me. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. 
That is the gospel itself. It's not super complex. It's super simple. Some of you may know that story. You've heard that story, that Jesus lived a perfect life that you could not live. He did exactly what you could not do. And it's in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So why was I 18 years old and I had prayed the dear God prayer and I wasn't certain because I was trusting in a prayer and not a savior. I was trusting in what I could do in order to have that insurance. It was two weeks ago, I was preaching at a Community Bible, and I had started to preach this, the first hour, and it was pretty slim, and I was kind of discouraged, to be honest with you. And I'm trying to get, you know, okay, I'm passionate about this, and I'm sharing with them how to share your faith. And I get done, and the sound guy pulls me aside. He said, Mike, I've always struggled with assurance. I've always struggled with if I know or not. And I asked a few more questions, and he began to say, well, you know, I grew up, you know, just always been, always has been in the blood, the whole bit. And I was like, okay, maybe we should have a conversation. And I shared this verse with him in Romans 10, 21, which says this, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long God does this. All day. I shared that verse with them. I said, hey, I got to go back up, and I started to preach. Again, there was eight people in the service. And, I mean, at that point, it's like, hey, guys, let's just circle up. Like, let's just, let's just pray, pray requests. Like, let's just talk. And I, I finished the service, and as I'm preaching in the service, I look in the back, and he's the sound guy, and he's almost crying to the point of distracting. I mean, his glasses are fogged up. He can't really see. He's, you know, like, and one of those, and I'm like, what, what is going on? I'm just like, hey, guys, share your faith. Yeah, like, do it. And uh, afterwards, he comes up to me, and he says, hey, before you leave, I need to pray for you. I was like, oh, sweet, man. I'll use some prayer. And we start talking to the eight people. They leave, and he says, follow me downstairs. Where's downstairs? So I follow him downstairs into their prayer room, uh, which, you know, it feels weird. And he just says, follow me. And we go into this room, and he just bows his head, and he starts to pray. And as he prayed, he prayed for me. And then he prayed a prayer of salvation that God would save his soul. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't pretty. But it was exactly what God wanted. He prayed a prayer, and he, and I mean, he has been blowing up my phone ever since. Afterwards, he had communicated to me how God had spoke to him very clearly, and he says, I am 100% certain that when I die, I will be in heaven, because all of us have to answer this question, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? What are you trusting in? Is it a baptism? Is it that you go to church? Is it because of mom and pop? Is it because you've always been, always has been? What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? There was one professor I had, his name was Larry Moyer, and the way he would describe it was so clear in my head to me, and I've said this before to some of you around here, to where you have to answer this question. If I die and I face God, and he says to me, why should I let you in? And he's not going to ask that question because he already knows. But if he were to, and if I said, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and my faith in that. And if he says that's not enough, I will have to send myself to hell. Because the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is sufficient. You can know if you will be in heaven or not. You can have assurance of that. On Wednesday night, we had baptized four college students who had made professions of faith this past month or past week for the very first time that they have the certainty you can know 
And if you have never known, and if you are not certain, it is simply putting your faith and trust in Christ. You can know if you will be in heaven or not. Because the tomb is empty. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do not leave today and do not go another day without putting your faith in Christ. Because all day long, God does this. He just does this. He says, come on. No matter what your background is, what your belief systems are, no matter what is taking place in your life or your you know, church, I did this, I did that. What is your response to Christ in the gospel? Have you put your full faith and trust in him? Number two, you can know if God hears us or if he hears you. It's in verse 14 to 15. It says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that he, have, that he has asked of us. So here's what's taking place. God gives the promise that if you ask something according to his will, he hears you. And you're like, well, what is, I mean, what's his will? What's not his will? Uh, recently, I had this lady that I've been trying to share with or talk to about God. And she said, hey, Mike, it sounds like you, uh, you and God are pretty tight. You got like a red phone. Can you ask him a question? I was like, I ain't got no red phone, but I mean, I'll, I'll try. And she said, we're trying to go to Putacana and we need our passports now. And we have not gotten them. And I was like, I, I mean, I don't know if he cares, but I mean, I'll check. They didn't get the passports, but here, here's, what, um, here's what he's getting at, that there is a portion of our prayer requests that line up with what God wants. Prime example, and this is just because it's clear in my mind, on Wednesday night, it, or all day Wednesday, it was supposed to rain and thunderstorm and all this stuff. We're trying to baptize these people outside in a pool, uh, you know, and we really can't if it thunderstorms. It's not really a thing to, like, get in the water. I mean, I'm pretty bold, but not that bold. It's like, you know, see you in heaven. So... We did, I was praying all day, God, please, it cannot, it can rain, it can't thunderstorm. And I actually was thinking on this passage, I said, God, I believe this is according to your will. I believe that you want us to baptize individuals who want to make a public profession of their faith. Would you make this possible tonight? And I mean, my friend of mine just kind of laughed at me. He's like, bro, that ain't even a thing for God. It ain't going to rain, thunderstorm. It was sunny. It was 85. It was perfect. And it might seem like a minor thing, but I do believe that that is according to God's will. One thing I know about you and I know about myself is if you're like me, you pray to get what you want. We do. And, and it could even be things that we know God cares about or he thinks is important. We could pray things like, God, would you help me in this circumstance, in this season of life that I despise so much? There's nothing about it that I like. Would you help me? Instead of praying, God, what do you want to teach me in this circumstance that I don't like so much? I'm guilty of that. God, help me lead this person to Christ. Help me guide them to Christ. Instead of praying, God, would you do whatever it takes and whoever it takes to make it happen? It's not about me. We make prayer this weird thing to where we end up praying about ourselves so much, we can't remember the last time we've actually made it about God, if we're honest. Because even when I pray, if I'm praying a daily prayer, if I'm going to God, it's about my circumstances and my problems and what I want God to fix. Now, don't <clears throat> hear me wrong. God cares. He cares. He wants you to petition to him. He wants you to cry out to him. If you're anxious, he cares. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from us. 
But his primary concern is his agenda, not Mike Duma's little world I got going on. He wants to use me. He wants to use me. So maybe, maybe, if you feel like God has never heard you, or if you feel like, man, I start to pray, I feel like he's not there, I don't feel anything, I've tried, I've tried to pray, I don't get anything from God, it's just a weird thing, I don't even really do it anymore. Maybe you have prayed the wrong type of prayers that God doesn't really necessarily need to hear. You've not prayed anything according to his will. It's been about your life. It's been about your problems. Instead of you praying, God, help this situation, whatever you want to get out of it, whatever you want to get out of me, I pray that that happens. I pray that you would do so. It's not the length of your prayer or how pretty it is or, you know, what it looks like to this person or that person. If the pastor thinks it's good, if you hear it, mmm, it's not about that. It's about if you pray something according to God's will. When Jesus, um, or the, the disciples asked Jesus a question, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I played about 10 to 12 games a season in high school, and after every game, what did we do? We get down on a knee. Our Father, who out in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't even know what that meant. Your kingdom come. What's the next phrase? Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us a day or day that we forgive us the trespasses. We do not get the trespasses against us. I'm temptation. All right, bring it in, cats. That's what we did. I didn't know what that meant. I was simply saying it. But now I need to ask myself the question, when I go to God, no matter how short it is, no matter what it looks like, God, would I come on your agenda? And I, I, no matter how many times I preach this or read this or think about it, Prayer is so much so not about getting what you want from God and more about a relationship that it bothers me. It just does sometimes, and I have to go to him. My, my main security in this passage or thinking about this passage is this. I can know that God hears me. I can know that he hears me. And he can hear you when I come according to his will. He hears. And when I go to him, I can't make it about me. I want to go to him with my problems, my situation, because he cares. But I want to come to him with open hands saying, God, what do you want from me in this situation? What are you trying to do through me? And help me not to miss it because I don't want to have to do it again. I don't want you to have to teach me this again, God. Would you do this for me? He hears us according to his will. Number three, sometimes you should say something. And I know that's very, like, you're like, you should know if sometimes, if maybe, if you feel like you should say something. But um, I'm going to try and not spend too much time on this, but I might need to just for sake of explaining it. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. So, what is the sin that leads to death? Um, is it pornography? Is it drinking? Is it being drunk? Is it adultery? Is it, is it the real serious sins? Is it lying? Is it pride? Well, it says God hates pride. That might be a thing. What is the sin that leads to death? And when you hear that, you're kind of like, do I do the sin that leads to death? What is the death? All these types of things. There's a ton that you can read about this, but I want to keep it very simple. Um, 
it I actually changed the way I viewed this passage on Tuesday uh, because I, I, even on our staff, there's differing views on this text. I had a conversation with Pastor Butch, and he sealed the deal for me, so I'll explain why. Um, there's two major views that people would argue. They'll say the sin that leads to death is unbelief. In Matthew 12, 31, 32, Jesus told a story to the Pharisees, and they said, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, um, their sins will never be forgiven. Jesus said that. He said, in this age or in the age to come, well, what did Jesus actually mean? You had to be present day to see Jesus do a miracle and say that that was from Satan himself to commit that sin. Some people will say the sin that leads to death is unbelief. I used to hold that view on Monday. <laughs> on Tuesday, the different view from that point, or one that's pretty major, is this. It is a believer in Christ who is committing a sin that will physically take their life. I would hold that view, and I'll tell you why. The first portion in verse 16, it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. So he is already putting us, hey, if you see your brother... If you see someone who's a believer in Christ, it says in James 5, uh, 19 and 20, it says this, next slide for me, please. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone, see, if anyone among you wandering from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. He is not talking that you have the power to save someone from hell, that kind of death. He's talking of a physical death. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira, these, this couple who comes, come before these people. They're collecting money. They end up lying to God. They lie to the Holy Spirit, and they drop dead on the moment, at the moment they die. I believe that that's the kind of sin John is talking about here. In 1 Corinthians 11, um, and I'm not going to go there, but if you re- want to read it later, it's in verse 30, 31, and 32. Um, they're, he's talking about some people where they will take communion and they're going to drink judgment upon themselves. Some, have, some are weak, some have died, and some have fallen asleep. All these things he's explaining. I believe, if you'd pull up verse, uh, 1 John 3, the, the passage I'm in right now, 16 to 17. I believe that the sin that leads to death is not a specific sin, but the one that you do not care what God thinks about. It is an unrepentant sin. The sin that doesn't lead to death is the one that you feel remorse about. So if God brings something to light, uh, there was someone I was talking to the other day, and they were talking about their own personal life and how God, they had just started their relationship with Christ, and they said, man, I have never felt like God is communicating to me, speaking to me, and bringing things up I didn't even know were a problem. That's what God does. He'll bring sin up in your life. And when he brings it up, the sin that doesn't lead to death is the one where you say, God, I want what you want. God, I'm, I, I want to confess my sin to you. Would you forgive me of my sin? The one that leads to death is the one where you would say, I know what the Bible says, but I do not care. I know it talks about that whole thing, that whole lust thing. Yeah, that, that just it, it ain't for me. That's, that's my thing. Hey, I know the whole lying thing and the whole money thing, honestly. I know it's, I know it's important, but that's not for me. What the Bible teaches is that Proverbs 29.1 says this, He who stiffens his neck after much reproach will soon be broken beyond healing. That eventually you, you, you so ignore God's correction and discipline that you no, longer, you no longer can, even your relationship with him and with others is hindered. So to bring this full circle, here's what I want to do. 
I want to talk about six things that are true for believers in, and what sin is because I don't want any confusion here this morning on what believers can do versus what they can't and what God wants from you. So the first thing is the six things that are true about believers in sin. You are going to struggle with sin your entire life. Give me a nod if you, if you know what I'm talking about. You will struggle with sin your entire life. It says in Romans 7.18, he says, I do the things I hate to do. I don't have the ability to carry it out. Your entire life, there is no form of perfection. You are going to struggle against, with, not knowing what to do, knowing what to do your entire life. Number two, Christians are aware and have slow progress. And I underline slow because it's slow. It's, it's two steps forward, three steps back. It's thinking this isn't a big deal, God bringing this up. If you're a true follower of Christ, you just are aware, hey, I, I have sin in my life, and I'm trying to step forward in that. And number three, when you sin, go to Jesus every day. And I know that is elementary, but it is super, super important and foundational. When you sin, you just bring it back to God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. And there's no limit day to day. You just come back to God. Number four, bring up the next four. God's discipline is evidence we're his children. If you feel God's correction in your life or him taking things away from you and him spiritually spanking you or whatever it is, Hebrews would teach that that is actually evidence that you are a legitimate child of God. Number five, God deals with rebellious children. Um, and I wanted to put the phrase in unrepentant, but I think that would cause too much controversy. But I do believe that if there is someone that you know that is struggling with sin, and it's really not a struggle anymore, they're kind of giving themselves over to, the point I had was sometimes you, you should say something. You should say something if you see someone, kind of their life is being ruined and they're giving themselves over to things and eventually you have to say something because you feel like their actual life is at stake. Now, I want to be clear, this is, again, there's so much at play here. Just because someone dies young or someone dies a weird kind of death doesn't mean that they're under the disciplined hand of God. That's not what it means. It is an unseen spiritual realm that we are able to evaluate ourselves but not use the Bible as kind of the, the magnifying glass on everyone we know. Sin leading to death, beep, 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 beep. Like you, it's not meant for that. It's not meant for that. Number six, God protects us and give, gives us victory when we strive to please him. If you... Some of you are natural. You're a six on the Enneagram right now, and you're anxious. You're like, do I have this in that leads to death? God, would you have? You're, you're anxious. Like if we gave an altar call, you'd be up here right now just because you're like, I don't know. I just want to be sure. God does not want you to be anxious or thinking, oh, my word, do I have this in? Do I not have this in? Listen, if you are striving to please God, my doubt is you don't. I think it's a small portion of people. This is not meant to bring up the idea so that you would feel unsure or insecure unless it is the Holy Spirit's doing. If there's a sin in your life that you would say, man, I just don't care what God has to say about that, then maybe you evaluate. Maybe you evaluate. It was said by Carrie Newhoff, who's a pastor. It's in Matthew 7, 6, where Jesus said, don't cast what is holy to the dogs, lest they trample it and they attack you. And this is what the pastor said. He said, don't wrestle with a pig. Because when you do, you both get dirty, and the pig liked it. And that's a fact. Sometimes you shouldn't say something. 
Sometimes, and bring up 1 John uh, 3, 16 and 17 again, where he says this, um, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. There's two things that can either mean. It can either mean, hey, you know what? Prayer itself isn't going to save this type of person. They're so far into their sin, or they so don't care what you have to say. And I know some of you parents are like, man, all my kids, they ain't got nothing I got to say about anything. It's not that. It's what does, it, or should we not, what should we not pray for? Because he says, I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. I believe what he is saying is the part before, there is a sin that leads to death. You shouldn't pray that someone has a sin that leads to death. As a follower of Christ, you should pray that everybody seeks to follow after God, and in their sin, they are restored. Because after all this I've said on verse 16 and 17, hear this. God's heart is always, 100% of the time, restoration. It is what he wants no matter where you are in your sin, if you feel you're too far gone, you're not. And it is, it is an impossible variable for you to be too far gone in your sin, no matter where you are. In your thoughts, in your actions, in your deeds, it is always God's heart for you to be restored to him. And whatever the case may be. Number four, and we'll, we'll finish up here in a minute. You can know you are protected in Christ. We know. There is seven times in this passage where it says, we know, we know. You don't hope, you don't think, you don't feel, it's a fact. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And we know we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I'm going to come back to that idols part here in a minute. Um, when he is giving this idea that no one born of God keeps on sinning, he says it again in chapter 3, verse 9. He is giving this picture, not that you would be perfect, that is never what John is trying to communicate. Rather, that when you do sin, you are still striving to please after God. That he keeps you and he protects you. It's in Jude one twenty four where Paul prays, keep me from stumbling. God, would you protect me? Would you keep me from the evil one? There are two men who followed Jesus. And a lot of us can fall into one of these two camps. The first one was a man named Judas. He followed Jesus for three and a half years, and his life produced somewhat of what it would look like fruit, and he was doing things for God, he was walking with Jesus, but then there came a time for him to make some kind of personal gain out of it. And once the opportunity came, he took it and he sold Jesus for some coin. When Jesus saw him, it says in Luke 22, he ran away and he hung himself. Because of the feeling of guilt and remorse was so heavy to him, he couldn't deal with it. It just made him take his own life. The other man was Peter. He actually denied Christ three times. I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. His actions seemed like he did not have genuine, authentic faith. When Jesus looked at him in Luke 22, he ran away. But he didn't run away to hang himself. He ran away and it says he wept bitterly. 
couple days later, Jesus sees him on the shore. And when Jesus sees him, Peter, they make eye contact. He finds out it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat and he swims to him, so eager to come back to him. When we sin, we can respond in one of two ways. We can either run away from God and we can feel guilty, I stink, I did this, I, can't, I did it again, it's the 98th time, I did this, I shouldn't have done that, I told them, I can't tell my kind of, you know, we, we put ourselves in our heads to where we just, we do exactly what the devil would want us to do and to be in our own heads and believe that we can't really bring it out anymore. Or we can do what Peter does and we can continue to come back to Christ every time. God, I'm sorry, I did this I said I wouldn't. It was the other time I said this. I said I wasn't going to do that. You are protected in Christ from your own self, your own sin that he keeps you. It's in John 10, 28. It says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And no one means no one. When you accept Christ, you have a relationship with him. It gives the illustration that he, you are in his hand. And when you accept him and follow him, he gives eternal life. Nothing or no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nothing. And that is the promise that John gives, that we are protected in Christ. In a time when you feel like everything is uncertain, Everything is in the balance. Everything's up in the air. We don't know what next week's going to look like. Oh my gosh, tomorrow. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do next week? What about next year? My schooling's going to come out. My job's in the balance. When you feel like everything is uncertain, I believe God wants you to know this morning that there is certainty in Christ. It was Stuart Hall who said this, we have made an idol out of certainty. And when it said in 1 John 5, 21, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I think it's this weird kind of like, you've, you, have you ever texted someone a really long text and then right at the end you're like, oh yeah, don't forget the time. It's kind of like one of those things it feels like. He kind of forgot to say something maybe, I don't know, but he just says, hey, keep yourselves from idols. And as he says, we know and we know and we know, and he's given this assurance we know, he says, keep yourselves from idols. And I think... One of our idols that have been exposed during this season of our lives is just knowing certainty. Just having some identity stripped away maybe of things that we feel like maybe had it all together or maybe the finances said X, Y, and Z. Man, March 8th, before all this took place, you would have maybe had a better time in your life, but maybe now more than ever, you have felt more insecure and more unsure than you ever have. And maybe, just maybe, God is trying to expose that. And 1 John provides the assurance that where you can find it is if you will be in heaven for sure one day. If God hears your prayers, that sometimes you need to say something and that you are protected in Christ. I want to end today with reading a longer quote. Um, and the reason I want to read it is because some of you today are uncertain if you will be in heaven, and you're not sure what to do, and you're not sure how to think about that, and you're not sure what your next step is. Some of you this morning, it says in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Some of you need assurance today. You need to stop asking Jesus into your heart every night. 
You need to, you need to stop uh, rededicating your life every day just in case. You need to know my salvation rests upon what Jesus did on the cross, not upon my actions. And I want to read this because I think it will provide some encouragement to you. Some years ago, radio evangelist Charles Fuller announced that he would speak the following Sunday on heaven. It would be broadcasted on radio. During that week, he received a letter from an old man who was very ill, and here is part of that letter. Next Sunday, you are to talk about heaven. I am interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money and without price, but the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I am not holding it for speculation since the title is non-transferable. It is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I have been sending material out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me, which will never need to be repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and it will never grow old. Termites can never undermine it, its foundation, for it rests upon the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it, floods cannot wash it away, no locks or bolts will be ever placed upon its doors, for no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. Now almost complete and ready for me to enter it and abide in peace eternally without fear of being ejected. There is a valley of deep shadows between that place and where I live in California, to which I shall journey in a very short time." I cannot reach my home in the city of God without passing through the dark valley of shadows. But I am not afraid, because the best friend that I have ever had walked through the valley, uh, the valley a long, long time ago and drove away all the gloom. He has stuck by me through thick and thin since we first met and became acquainted 55 years ago. I hold his promise in printed form never to forsake nor leave me alone. He will be with me as I walk through the valley of shadows. I shall not lose my way when he is with me. I hope to hear your sermon on, su- on heaven next Sunday from my home, but I have no assurance that I will be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for its journey, no return coupon, no permit for baggage. Yes, I am ready to go and may not be here when you are talking next Sunday, but I shall meet you there someday. Maybe you are uncertain if you will be in heaven. You can know today by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, putting your full weight and faith and trust in him. And you can know today, if you do have a home in heaven, that it is secure because of what Jesus has done. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for John and what he says to us here in this portion of his letter. I pray for those who need um, security this morning, those who do have a relationship with you, And God, they just struggle with assurance that they would know what your word says and God, you would release them from any kind of anxiety that they have. And God, those who maybe have been struggling with doubt this whole time since I started talking, if it is from your spirit, I pray that you would confirm that. Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you for salvation right now in their seat, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus, not in a prayer not in church attendance, not in anything else, not in being a good person, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And God, for those of us, myself included, who have maybe struggled with security during this time, our idol of security has been exposed, and we're commanded to keep ourselves from idols because of what Jesus has done and where our security can be found. 
we pray that we would come back to you. And God, as you deal with us graciously and lovingly, God, would we come to you every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.